All right, how's it going, everyone? This is the new season of Walleye World Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Barnes, and I have a special guest with us this month. Um, episode one of our third season, I believe, we have Jake Romanak, multi-species angler, um, very well known in the Great Lakes region. Jake, how the heck are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, good to see you. Yeah, it's been a minute. So uh, Jake is probably one of the most passionate ice anglers that I know. Uh, last time I was fishing with him, we were getting rocking and rolling on the open water, but he was pretty quiet. And uh, I saw him silently jigging some ice rods by himself and I could tell I was, ice was on the brain. So uh, no better person I can think of to bring on to kind of talk about ice fishing and, and how you've kind of shifted your approach with a kind of a delayed ice season starting here. So Jake, um, you know, I know you pretty well, but tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got into fishing and kind of how you really got the ice bug. Well, to start off, when we were in the boat together, it was December. And anytime it's December, I should be standing on the ice. So yes, I definitely had ice <laughs> on the brain uh, when we were on the water the, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, my name is Jake Romanek. And, and what I do for a living is we produce a television show on the Sportsman's Channel and the World Fishing Network. Uh, the show is called Fishing 411 Television. Uh, we're shooting season 16 currently. Season 15 is airing right now on the Sportsman's Channel. So um, I'm 25 years old. Basically, this is what I've done my entire life is talk about fishing and promoting fishing. So um, what kind of got my start with ice fishing is pretty much, I think, everybody's story. And when I was just a little kid, my dad would take me out on the ice and I would catch bluegills and crappies. And that kind of got my interest in ice fishing. Then when I was about maybe 14 or 15, my dad took me out on Saginaw Bay and I caught like a 28, 29 inch lake trout. And as a little mm. kid catching a fish like that, I mean, it really got me excited about ice fishing. Then again, I just did it recreationally. I just went when I had the time when ice fishing, I went to college in Wisconsin. That's when I learned what ice fishing actually is. Those boys in Wisconsin, they truly know ice and they live it. It's a, it's a lifestyle out there. Mm. So a couple of years in college, did way too much ice fishing and not enough college. It kind of just sparked everything for me. I came back home to work for my parents, worked for Fishing 411, and now I'm just kind of an ice fishing nut. When it comes to ice fishing, every weekend I'm on the ice. Uh, any weekdays I can get out there, I'm on the ice. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I think it's, um. so one thing you'd mentioned is uh, you, not only do you live and breathe fishing, you know, you've been doing the ice thing for a long time, multi-species. A lot of guys know of you as a, as a walleye angler, but uh, you cut your teeth and did a lot of uh, cold water fishing out in Frankfurt, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of elaborate a little bit about your experience on some of the the big water boats, uh, doing deck handing first mate, and uh, I believe you still have your captain's license as well. Yeah, when I was, uh, when I was in high school and then in, while I was in college, I first made it on a multitude of different big boats, which was a cool opportunity for me because I got to learn from captains that have been doing this for 20, 30 years. So uh, I would walleye fish in May and June on Lake Erie, and then I would go up to Frankfurt in July, August, September. I would spend the time salmon fishing. So uh, it, it gave me an opportunity not only to learn from captains that have been doing it for a lifetime, but also when you spend uh, the amount of time on the water that charter captains do, you pick up a lot of information. Um, basically from May until September, I would run somewhere around 200 trips a year, um, running, counting those as doubles. So yeah. that's basically eat, sleep, breathe on the boat, 20 hours a day. And, and that opportunity really helped me learn a lot about fishing, helped me learn about walleyes. It also helped me learn about salmon as we were targeting different species. 
That is awesome, man. What an opportunity. Um, and yeah, that versatility has kind of played into your skill sets and your toolbox and how you can approach multitude of different uh, species and different bodies of water. And it's one thing I really enjoy about watching Fishing 411 on TV is you guys are able to adapt from all conditions and, and put together something and help people learn fisheries and, and learn how to do things right to have success on the water. So with all that in mind, let's talk a little bit about ice. That's what we're here to chat about. Um, safe and fishable ice on the Great Lakes has kind of been delayed because of the weather. And uh, we've been in touch and you've been on kind of shifting focus to inland lakes because really that's all we've really had thus far. It's uh, kind of the end of January right now here in Michigan. We both live in Michigan. We're Michigan boys. And you're getting your fix on the inland bodies of water. What are some of the unique challenges associated with inland ice? Well, I love targeting walleyes anywhere. But I think that an inland lake walleye in Michigan should be considered a completely different species. They're very difficult to target, and it's mm. one of the reasons I love targeting them in inland lakes. So um, looking at the Michigan fishery here in Michigan, we have their biggest ice fishery that we have is a Saginaw-based system for walleyes. And that's a system that's really big. It's a huge area. Area, you know, a year like this, we just simply haven't had very good ice formation yet. Uh, so there's not a lot of places on Saginaw Bay to fish. Guys are still fishing in relatively shallow water on the bay, but the bay is not frozen all the way across. So I did. I, I shift my focus to inland lake uh, walleye fishing, and the reason for that is just safety. Uh, I have a lot of uh, money tied up in my equipment, and I'm, I don't want to worry about dropping a machine through the ice. Right. So. Uh, for the most part here in northern Michigan, we have great ice, anywhere from 8 to 14 inches of ice pretty much everywhere that I've drilled. Nice. Uh, there's some lakes that uh, still aren't safe yet, but for the most part, most of our lakes are pretty fishable up here and, and pretty safe. So uh, inland lake walleyes, and I think say the reason why I think that they're as difficult as they are to target is simply numbers. Here in Michigan, our inland lakes don't necessarily have a ton of walleyes. The Great Lakes have a ton of walleyes. And so That's when you think true. about a Saginaw Bay fishery, you think about a thousand guys out there and most of them catching their limit in a day of fishing. Well, there's just simply not that many fish in inland lakes. So picking apart the bodies of water, understanding that a good day of walleye fishing on an inland lake is truly five, six fish a person a day. I'm very happy with those numbers. So um, kind of lowering my expectations a little bit, knowing that I'm not necessarily going to catch 20, 30 fish a day. Uh, but in my opinion, and this is simply my opinion, I don't know if there's a more beautiful fish that swims in fresh water than an inland lake walleye. They have colors that are just gorgeous. That dark golden color is, is worth me going out there and drilling some holes and trying to find a couple of them. Heck yeah, man. Um, I think some of the other unique challenges is we don't have like the huge open water basins on those inland lakes. I got a few inland lakes by my house. I'm not going to mention names because I'm in Southern Michigan, um, but there's walleye in them. We just got to put in the time. Um, on that note, a couple months ago, you mentioned knowing when to adapt your approach, kind of doing a run and gun thing, vice, uh, knowing when to stay put and wait for the, you know, pods of fish to come in and work them as they roam. Um, can you tell listeners what helps influence your decision points and how you apply those different approaches to inland ice? Yeah, and I think I think that has to do primarily with the body of water that you're fishing on. We'll use a couple big lakes, for instance, big inland bodies of water, um, for examples. So in my opinion, there's two different ways that you're going to target walleyes in inland lakes. One, the lake is going to be a relatively shallow body of water. And normally, if it's a shallow body of water, there's weeds. So now I'm using weeds as structure. I'm using the weeds to find fish, and that's considered my structure. 
Now, the other types of structure that you'll find in inland bodies of water would be like a, a lake like Burt Lake up in northern Michigan. It's a little bit deeper body of water. And what you have there are mud transition areas. Still structure. It's still where it's a little bit shallower, drops to a little bit deeper. Okay. It might not be super fast breaks, but it's still a little bit of structure. So it really depends on what you're targeting and where you're at, what lake you're looking at. So the biggest help that I found is uh, I talk about it so often that I feel like everybody knows about it, but it's that Navionics app on my phone. Mm-hmm. Now I have chipping in my graphs and I can use my Lawrence units to help, but it's pretty hard to beat that $15 Navionics app on your phone. And what I look for is I look for flats. I look for areas that might be a little bit shallower that drop off to a little bit deeper. Okay. So we use Houghton Lake, for example. Um, Houghton Lake, you might find some five, six feet of water that kind of flats off there. I can almost guarantee you if you find five to six feet of water that's on a flat, there's going to be weeds on there on a fishery like Houghton Lake. Mm-hmm. Now what I'm looking for is where it drops off and where it drops off maybe to 12 or 13 feet of water. If I'm fishing weeds, what I like to do is try to find those weed edges. I believe those walleyes follow those edges like a highway. So uh, not to say you can't catch a walleye inside the weeds and not to say you can't catch them outside the weeds. It really seems like those fish like to travel the exact edges of the weeds. So the way that I would uh, approach it in that situation is I would look on my Navionics app. I'd find those flats. I'd go ahead and go right up on the top of those flats and I'd drill a hole and drop my graph down and I would look and see if there's weeds there. Now I start walking until I find where the weeds stop. Once I know know that weed edge is, a lot of times it'll be a certain depth of water. So say that the weeds stop at 10 feet. A lot of times they'll kind of stay at that 10 foot is where those weed edges stop. And you can do things like set tip ups on those weed edges. You can jig those weed edges. Um, But it really depends on what you're seeing. When I'm fishing weed edges, I give it about a half hour. Pull up on the edge of the weeds, fish it for a half hour. If I'm just not seeing any activity, then I go to the next weed edge and I just keep hopping around. In a perfect situation for weed fishing, in my opinion, is if you can find two flats relatively close together and you can find where those two edges come together. And if you treat those weed edges like a highway, when they come together, it's like an intersection. So now you have two different flats where fish are traveling between two different flats and you have fish more fish in a smaller area. Um, if I'm fishing transition edges like mud flats up in Burt Lake, uh, those type of spots, I tend to stick out a little bit longer. So if I'll pull up onto a shallow part of that flat, maybe um, first thing in the morning, those fish will slide up just a little bit shallower. Mm-hmm. And I fish that in the morning. And then as I slide off in the afternoon, I like to slide off as the sun comes up a little bit deeper. Now you're talking about fish that are just simply roaming a flat. So it makes sense to stick it out just a little bit longer. Set some tip ups, set some set lines. Um, and maybe fish there for a few hours because what's going to happen is you're going to zig when the fish zag. So if in a situation like that, you're moving constantly, um, you're just simply not going to get in front of as many fish as if you just stay put and you might get five or six walleyes to come in front of you through the course of the day. And hopefully you can get those to bite. Nice. Yeah. So the, the audience that we have here, that's listening to the audio version of the podcast, you're not going to see that uh, Jake sitting in uh, fishing 411 headquarters right now. He's got a ton of cool things on the desk. Um, I'm going to ask him a little bit more about some of the sonar stuff that he uses and, and some of the graphing stuff to help us kind of fine tune and, and talk about those weed edges and, and what I would kind of illustrate as like a funnel point if you're a hunter to kind of funnel in those fish and where to target those. So we'll get into that more and we'll explain it. Um, you know, the next thing I kind of want to ask is uh, you mentioned a couple different approaches there and I'm for, I, for one, I'm not much of an ice angler. I just haven't put in the time. So I'm just going to ask some probably silly questions, but uh, let's talk about your go-to ice setups. 
uh, in Michigan, we're blessed to run up to three rods. That's freaking amazing. With this yeah. in mind, you know, tell us your three go-to ice setups that you'd recommend for any starting or, you know, veteran ice angler for that. Absolutely. Well, the first, the first thing you're going to need is a good jigging rod. And I have here is, this is a black rain, uh, anywhere from a 32 to 34 inch rod. Medium action is kind of what I'm looking for. Um, I want to have a fairly stiff rod, but enough tip to the, to the rod that when you have a fish in the hole, you have a little bit of give there. Okay. So a good quality jigging rod goes a long ways. And through trial and error, I've came to this conclusion. Now, a custom jigging rod like this costs a little bit of money, but I used to lose so many fish in the hole. It would just become a normal thing. Maybe if you landed 50% of the fish you hooked, that was a day of fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, until I started fishing more quality rods, then I realized that you can fix that. You can mitigate losing those fish at the hole with just the right setup. So um, in my opinion, 34 inches is perfect for fishing inside a shelter or fishing outside a shelter. A little bit longer rod just gives a little more forgiveness when that fish is at the hole and you're trying to line that fish's head up into the hole. Uh, braided line is an absolute must, whether you're a shallow water fisherman or a deeper water fisherman. I think that braided line for a vertical presentation, whether you're ice fishing or open water fishing, is pretty hard to beat. Uh, in my situation, I use braid eight. It's a, it's a Daiwa product, but I fish inside a shack a lot. If it's super nasty and it's super cold, I'm sitting inside a warm shelter. So I don't really worry too much about the, the braid itself freezing because I'm in a warm environment like a shack. Now, if you are outside your shelter a lot fishing, they do make different kinds of braided line that are coated that are not, uh, they're not going to absorb the water as much. So that's an option too for you. Nice. Um, the actual setup that I have is a 10 pound test braided line to a lot of times about an eight pound test fluorocarbon leader with a barrel swivel. Um, depending on the fishery that I'm fishing, if it's dirtier water, I'll use a bigger, heavier leader. Kind of helps force those fish up the hole a little bit mm -hmm. easier. Um, fisheries like Burt Lake or Mullet Lake that are much clearer fisheries. Sometimes I'll even drop down to a six pound test later. If the fish are coming in and they're very finicky, I'll just keep downsizing my line until I can finally get those fish to bite. Um, so it really depends on the fishery that you're at for the, the pound test of the leader. And then just a cross lock snap tied on there so I can change out my baits. Um, for those that can see the video, I just have a, a jigging shad wrap on there right now. And one of the things about ice fishing is I like to change my baits out a lot. If I'm having fish coming in that aren't biting, there's a reason for it. And so I keep changing out throughout the day until I figure out what they want. This bait right here, like I said, is a jigging shad wrap. And I've, I've caught hundreds and hundreds of walleyes on this bait. It's just a, a quality product that just catches me a lot of fish and I have a lot of confidence in it. Um, but sometimes I would consider this like a jigging swimming style lure. Sometimes the fish just don't want that. Sometimes they want more of a flutter. And so in that situation, for the viewers that can see, this is a moonshine spoon right here. And that just gives you a little bit more flutter. So that's another option for you is jigging a spoon. Um, another option that I use quite often when the fish are aggressive is a lipless crankbait. And Rob and I, we've talked a lot about lipless baits, but in the ice fishing world, they're yeah, much buddy. smaller. We use these little ultra light ripping wraps here. Um, I put just a little bit bigger treble hook on the belly, one size up on the treble hook. Uh, seems to help with hookup percentage a little more. But when these fish are really aggressive, uh, it's pretty hard to be a lipless bait with nothing on it. It's a ton of fun to catch them um, just on that lipless bait. And then the next category of lures that I would fish a lot are rattle spoons. So again, this is a buckshot rattle spoon here and uh, it's an orange one. It's got an orange back on it there. And it's, 
it's your spoon vertical type presentation, but it's got just a little rattle in there. And some days those fish really, really like that. Now we were talking earlier about Great Lakes versus inland bodies of water. I would say the biggest thing that I changed between Great Lakes fishing and inland body of water fishing is I use smaller baits. Uh, going back to this moonshine spoon, I fished this spoon on Saginaw Bay a ton, but I fished the much bigger version of this spoon. Um, something with more flash, more vibration. The fish can see it from a further uh, distance away. And these fish on the Great Lakes are way more aggressive than what inland lake walleyes tend to be. So a bigger presentation seems to help in that situation. So downsizing my baits a little bit for the inland bodies of water seem to make a big difference too. So that's my jigging rod. And uh, like I said, this is a 34 inch black rain. All of my reels that I have are these QZ 750s. You can see them there. This is a Daiwa reel. It's a great little reel. Um, for me, it's the little things. This is a seven ball bearing reel which makes it a quality reel with a great drag. But one of the little things that I love is when you're ice fishing, you have to put all your rods in a box and you have to store them all. So folding your rods up become really important. And with the QZ750, they have a little button right here that you push and the reel handle folds down. Oh, nice. So just for storage and the storage purpose of, I might have seven, eight rods with me, I can quickly fold that handle down and it, it fits in a much smaller area. So again, that's that Daiwa QZ750 has been a great reel for me. Nice. Hey, let's talk a little bit about that braided line that you got on there. And also I want to talk fluorocarbon leaders um, just to, and then we'll get back to the other two setups. Um, audience that can't see the video, Jake's got a high visibility. Uh, I believe Daiwa makes that line. Yeah. If this is a J braid that I have on here, um, but it is a high vis and you're right. That's important to me because I want to be able to see that line where it goes into the ice hole Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want that line to be up along the edge of the hole and get frozen. So uh, it's the same characteristics of like a vertical jigging type setup. I think high vis is important because I want to be able to see that line. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to kind of point that out to the audience that can't see the video. Uh, you know, Jake's a heck of a jig stick. I've, I fished with him doing some open water jigging stuff. And, uh, you know, he's got a good point being able to see what the line's doing. Um, I know I'm a steelheader too, and and we're very particular about the type of fluorocarbon leaders we use. Um, I like Drennan for some of the stuff I do. I even use it on Detroit River when walleye jigging. It's just a tougher fluorocarbon leader. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about the brand and type of fluorocarbon leader that you prefer, or perhaps use a different material. Well, I use fluorocarbon, and I've used just a ton okay. of brands. Um, I might not be as particular on that. I feel... In the world we live in now, there are a lot of good fluorocarbons out there. Um, Absolutely. I just came out with a new style of fluorocarbon, a new fluorocarbon that I've been using all ice season. I've been very happy with it. Um, but I don't know if I have a brand specific on fluorocarbon that I think that you have to stick to. I've used, <laughs> boy, at this point, I think I might have used them all, and I, I've been pretty happy with most of them. Nice. Um, but yeah, like uh, as far as the liter length on your fluorocarbon goes, too, that goes right back to the clarity of water. One tip that I do, and I don't have this set up, so you wouldn't be able to see it on the video anyways, on this particular rod. But one thing I'll do a lot on clear bodies of water is again, I love the high vis line, but one thing that I do with it, if I'm fishing a clear body of water is I'll take the line itself and you can, the viewers that can see, you can see how bright that line is. And what I'll do is I'll take a Sharpie, a little black Sharpie right here, and I go up the line and I just trace the line with the Sharpie. So you can see how bright that line was before. And now just riding a Sharpie up it a few times, hmm. now that line's black. 
So now what I've done is I might have a two foot fluorocarbon leader, but I can run that black up the line three or four feet. So when these fish get really finicky, they're not seeing the line at all. I'll drop down to a six pound test fluorocarbon. I'll run that black up the line three or four feet. And so now they're definitely not line shy at that point. Heck yeah. These fish are just simply not seeing it. So fisheries like Burt Lake up in Northern Michigan is very clear. I spent a fair amount of time on that lake and these fish are pressured. There's plenty of other people out there fishing mm. um, and the water's crystal clear. So they're not, they can see everything. So little things like that I found on some days really make a difference. Nice. Um, you and I are both very much scent guys, especially in the colder weather. And, and you know, it's no secret those markers have some sort of scent. Um, talk about how you employ scent when you're ice fishing game and, and maybe how you mitigate. You now, does it even matter when you're rubbing that Sharpie up that line to give you more stealth? Do the fish seem to notice or care? Um, I think for scent, I've used scent a ton. I, a lot of times I fish live bait for ice fishing. In fact, mm -hmm. every day I fish live bait for ice fishing. Um, a lot of times in open water, I just don't feel like it's that necessary. I can get by with plastics. These fish in the wintertime, they have more time to, to scrutinize what you're doing. You're sitting mm -hmm. in one spot. They look at it enough. And if you don't have live bait, a lot of days, it's just simply uh, you won't get bit. Um, but one thing I did up in, I spent 10 days in Minnesota this year. And one thing that I did a fair amount of is I was taking on the hook. So we'll use this jigging shad wrap, for instance, on the hook, I would take a piece of plastic, um, like a finesse minnow. Mm -hmm. I would cut it. So it's just a little piece of it. And I'd put it on there because I think that even when you have the minnow, it's still the action of that minnow flopping sure. back and forth is a, is a reason why these fish bite. Um, but what I'll do is I actually put Procure Super Gel on there. And so now it smells good and now it looks good. And a lot of times I was able to fool those fish because uh, I just simply didn't want to reach my hand in the cold minnow bucket. Uh, fishing was pretty good. We sorted through a ton of walleyes. And so instead of putting a minnow on it every time, uh, I was able to put a plastic on there, keep that same action, and then yep. add Procure so it smells good to the bait and caught a lot of fish doing that too. Nice. Yeah. Good tip. Yeah. So uh, for the folks that couldn't see it on the video, what Jake is talking about is putting it on the bottom treble of that jigging shad, shad wrap and uh, cool trick, man. I never heard of that. And obviously it worked for you over in Minnesota. Yeah. And one of the things too, that I think it's with ice fishing, it becomes little things, right? Mm -hmm. it's just tiny little things that I think make a big difference throughout the day. Uh, when you hook your minnow, now I don't have a minnow to, to hook up, but when you hook your minnow, a lot of times in the summertime, you'll take that treble hook and you'll run it right up through the bottom of the jaw of the minnow through the back of the head. In the wintertime, I actually run it opposite. I go from the back of the head down through the bottom of the jaw. I feel hmm. like it stays on the hook a lot better. And then very rarely do I ever fish a full minnow. A lot of times it's either just the minnow head or half of the minnow. Hmm. So say it's half the minnow, I'll go halfway down the minnow and I pinch it off. Now that's where a lot of people stop right there is they pinch it off and they start fishing. But one little tip that I've done that really makes a big difference some days is when you pinch that minnow in half, there's still a swim bladder still inside that minnow. So unless you pinch the swim bladder, when you put that bait in the water, the minnow will want to float up and it will not lay straight down below the treble hook. It'll actually float up in the water. And oh, that's gotcha. not the look you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You want that minnow to hang down directly below your treble hook. So you'll take that exact minnow that you pinched in half and I actually run my finger down its belly and it pops the swim bladder right out of the minnow. And <laughs> so there's no more air in that minnow and it'll sit straight up and down on the treble hook. Um, and I see a lot of guys that I'm fishing with that when I walk up to them and they put their bait in the water and the minnow is actually floated up 
higher than the bait itself and you don't have that vertical presentation anymore. So uh, these staying ice fishing walleyes, they can be picky and something yeah. like that can make all the difference in the world. Nice. Hey, we're getting all sorts of bonus tips, line stealth stuff from Jake and then uh, getting that air bladder out so that the minnow piece lays nice and straight down there. And Hey, we're only one rod into the, the top three of your selection. So let's keep rolling on, man. I know you got some other things you talked about your jigging setup. What are your other two go-to rods and presentations? Well, actually, I only have one other go-to rod in my presentation. For okay. jigging, I use that, that medium action rod, 34, okay. which is pretty much my go-to jigging rod. Um, for a dead stick rod, I use a specific jet dead stick rod. Now, this rod you can see here is a little bit longer for the viewers at home that can see, and I have a little orange tip on it. And what this is called is the walleye snare from JT. It's a 36-inch rod, and this is where the video is really going to help. But the one thing that this rod has is a very soft tip, and a super stiff backbone. Mm -hmm. uh, for all you open water fishermen at home, this is the bottom bouncer rod of ice fishing. What you want is that fish to be able to grab a hold of that bait and swim away with it and not feel any resistance. And uh, the reason it's called the walleye snare is it's it's basically a snare. They'll grab a hold of that minnow. This rod will load right up and they basically get to the backbone of the rod itself and they kind of set the hook on themselves where they're just hanging there. Then I can grab the rod and set the hook. Now, in this situation, I very rarely use braid on this because I do like the stretch. I like the stretch of monofilament. So I put eight to 10 pound test monofilament on this rod. And then this jig, a lot of times I'll just fish a jig on it. Sometimes I'll fish a treble hook with, with, a, with a minnow on it. But a lot of times I'll just fish a little jig like this one right here. Uh, this is an eagle eye jig. Uh, it's got the Pro-V bend on it, and it's an Eagle Claw product. And one reason I like this jig is because it's got a thin wire. And I think that makes a big difference for being able to get a good hook in that fish. That thin wire really penetrates well uh, mm -hmm. when it's going into the fish's mouth with very little resistance. So um, this is a simple presentation, a dead stick. Now, I use a dead stick a lot, pretty much every day inside my shelter. What I'll be doing is I'll be jigging with one rod and I have a dead stick sitting next to me. And what'll happen is that fish will come in and he might not be aggressive enough to hit that, that jigging presentation, but there's a minnow sitting there right next to me, not moving, and he'll go over there and he'll suck that minnow in. So it's kind of a one-two punch as you're sitting in the shelter. And this is kind of my go-to setup day in and day out. If I'm moving around a lot, I tend to only fish two rods. I know we're allowed to fish three, but I seem like a lot of days I'm spending more time setting that third rod and it takes longer to move from spot to spot. So if I know I'm in a situation where I'm going to be sitting there for quite some time, then I'll set set lines outside the shack. I'll set uh, tip ups outside the shack. There's a lot of other options outside your shelter that you can do. Uh, but as far as fishing inside the shelter, a lot of times I'll fish by myself. I'm jigging with one rod and then I have a dead stick sitting in the shelter right next to me. You'll be very surprised in the course of the day how many fish come on this dead rod. Some days, all of them will come on this dead rod. And those days that those fish are just in a weird, funky mood, uh, they can't say no to a to an emerald shiner just swimming real slow in the water. Um, maybe they don't want to bite that jigging presentation. Sure, man. Good, good thoughts. And uh, I like the analogy with the one-two punch there. And an overarching theme I'm hearing you is being able to adapt and move quickly if you need to be flexible, depending on what the fishery is telling you to do and how to adapt to it. Um, you know, we're talking inland ice, but I definitely want to talk about some of the parallelisms between like big water Saginaw Bay and uh, some of the inland bodies of water. 
are there are some baits that you employ out say in like in sag and all that would work and inland you talked about downsizing just kind of elaborate on some universal go-to baits yeah um in the world of ice fishing your go-to baits are going to be people will call it a jigging wrap right because a jigging wrap is a staple that was the first that's the one that everyone started using jigging wraps jigging shad wraps um, but there's a lot of different brands out there and there are a lot of really good baits uh, but you're right when it comes to great lakes a lot of times i'll fish bigger baits on the great lakes just more visible and these fish are more aggressive mm-hmm. and then take the same presentation and just downsize it in an inland body of water so say that i'm fishing a jigging wrap on an inland lake it might be a number three jigging wrap or or a number five jigging wrap uh, on the great lakes it might be a number seven or a number nine so it's exactly the same presentation as far as how that bait is moving in the water. It's mm-hmm. just downsizing it a little bit more. The other thing about, for the most part, on our inland bodies of water, you're dealing with smaller fish. Uh, 21, 22-inch walleye is a really nice inland lake walleye in Michigan. Uh, that's on the edge of being a small fish in a fishery like Saginaw Bay. On Saginaw Bay, every day you have a chance of putting your hands on a, on a 10-pound class fish. Mm-hmm. So where you have bigger fish, they're just willing to eat a bigger presentation there too. So um, yeah, same thing. I, I did show that spoon, uh, the moonshine spoon, very popular on Saginaw Bay, but this is the smaller one. This is the one that I would use on an inland body of water. You can catch perch, you can catch walleyes with a spoon like this. On Saginaw Bay, you just upsize the spoon to a little bit bigger presentation and you're and you're good to go. Sure. Now that's not to say days on Saginaw Bay you can't catch fish on smaller presentations. Some days they're just in a bad mood on the bay too. Um, but by and large, a bigger presentation seems to be the, the ticket for me on a fishery like Saginaw Bay. Absolutely. Uh, just for reference, do you happen to know the size nomenclature for that moonshine jigging spoon that you pulled up? It's all right if you don't. No, not off the top of my head, but I do know that this is the smallest one that they make. Okay. The one that I use on Saginaw Bay is the biggest one they make, and I think there's one size in between, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but not off the top of my head. I can't remember the size. It doesn't say on it either, so... Uh, no worries. Um, obviously, one of the big things there, you're just talking about different types of fish. The bigger fish are ten, tend to go for the, the bigger baits. The inland fish are smaller. They go after the smaller baits. Um, how much stock do you put in color? I know you talked about changing baits quite a bit when you're out on the ice to be adapting. Are there some universal good colors? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, Normally in open water fishing, I'm not a huge color fan as much as I am about presentation. Like when I'm trolling, I think it's more about getting the action of the bait right. And Mm -hmm. then color is just refining your presentation. Ice fishing, that's true to a point, but I've seen where it makes just a giant difference with color. And more specifically, I know that people talk a lot about UV colors. Personally, I'm not a huge UV guy. Like I haven't jumped on the UV bandwagon of colors for baits. But I'm a huge glow fan when it comes to ice fishing. Anything that glows uh, has really caught my interest because a lot of times you're fishing bite windows. And it'll be the first half hour in the morning is going to be a really good time frame in that last half hour at night. So something that's just a little bit more visible, like a glow, really makes a big difference. And color has everything to do with the body of water that you're fishing. If your water on the lake has a little bit more color, you can get away with more gaudy colors, more bright colors. Mm -hmm. Uh, But a lot of our inland lakes in northern Michigan are fairly clear. And in that situation, more natural colors seem to make a big difference. Some of those perch type colors uh, seem to really work really well. Um, 
painted type baits. Now I don't have one sitting here, but a, a painted, a natural painted finish versus that UV that's a little bit brighter mm-hmm. really seems to make a difference too. Because again, you want to be pretty natural in these clear bodies of water here. Uh, these fish just have a lot of time to look at that bait before they finally bite it. And I think for me, that's one of the reasons I love ice fishing that much is because I've totally fooled that fish from start to finish. When I'm trolling, which I do a ton of it in the summertime, you fooled the fish to a point, but he had a split second to make that decision. Right. He either eats it or he doesn't eat it. And in ice fishing, they have all the time in the world to decide if they're going to eat it or if they're not. And uh, I was fishing up in the UP last week, and a lot of times you'd have these fish come in that would be underneath you for a minute and a half, two minutes, and then you finally got that fish to bite. You did everything right at that point. You know, it's just, to me, it's like a big sigh of relief that I made that (laughs) fish. He was down there for two minutes, had all the reason in the world not to eat it, but I still fooled him at the end of the day. So um, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons I love it so much. (laughs) Gotta love that. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I'm no no biologist. I don't, I don't think walleye's eyes are even set up to see UV. Now there are, for some reason, UV colors that I have when I'm doing open water fishing that just tend to work. Um, I'm again, I'm no biologist, but yeah, the glow stuff, man, uh, it's worked on open water stuff. And like I said, I'm not much of a nice guy. That's why I got you on the podcast to chat. And, um, I think this is really cool, man. Um, I know a lot has changed, not just in the open water fishing stuff, but also ice fishing and and technology, the rods you talked about technique specific stuff to kind of be dead dialed in to get fish on a dead stick vice your jig stick. Um, you know, even with shanty. So I've got an older shanty. That's a sled style deal. And yeah. you, you can sit in a kind of like a bucket seat and pull it over and, you know, it's thin, it's canvas. Um, I know a lot has changed. I think I've seen some of your stuff on social media where it's literally thermal stuff. So I kind of want to ask about what you're running. Uh, I think even, I think last weekend you were out with your wife and you guys actually stayed out there. <laughs> so we, did, yeah. we actually camped out on the ice there. So that's hardcore, man. Place, you know, uh, Dave Gens from, from Clam kind of started this entire thing and I was I was lucky enough to get to fish with Dave Gens um not ice fishing but open water fishing and to me it was really cool he pioneered this entire fishery and this entire way of life for ice fishermen and so getting a chance to spend a day on the water with him was really a special moment for me um just to pick his brain because this man he started it all and uh, and since then I've I've started my career working with Otter I've been lucky enough to be with Otter for my entire ice fishing career and mm-hmm. and they make an incredible product and to me it's the reason why i can spend so much time out on the ice is because quite frankly i'm comfortable um i'm not cold it's not a cold sport you know fishing with you a few weeks back and in, in december is a heck of a lot colder on the boat than it sure is ice fishing you know i'm sitting in a warm shelter with a heater on and and my shelters have, have insulation in the actual canvas itself Um, so it really does a nice job of holding the heat in and there's a lot of different styles of shelters. I prefer for my fishing shelter, a flip style shack. Uh, the shack that I run is an XT lodge from Otter. It's got Mm -hmm. a bench style seat on it. So you can fish a couple people in there if you want to. Um, if you're fishing by yourself, you have a lot of room to spread out and, and set stuff, which is really nice insulated. So it heats very easily but it also folds up easily and I can transport it very easily, which is nice. So Mm -hmm. my setup, if you can kind of picture my setup is I have a snowmobile with my shack hooked to my snowmobile. When I get to where I want to fish, I step off the snowmobile, 
drill my holes where the shelter is going to go, flip the shelter up, turn my heater on, and I'm fishing. When I want to move, it takes literally five minutes to move, fold the shack up, put my heater away, jump back on the snowmobile, and I'm moving. So I'm extremely mobile, and it's one of the reasons I like the flip style shack. The other style shack that's very popular is the hub. And for the space that a hub takes up, you get a ton of fishable space. Uh, for instance, you were talking about how I, I camped last weekend out on the ice with my wife, and that's the Lodge Hub, their Vortex Hub. And I could fit two full-size cots in there, the heater. We fished all night. Um, we just had a great time. And we were able to heat that shack up to the point where I was literally sleeping with no sleeping bag, a pillow, and a blanket. And I was plenty warm. That's crazy. There. Awesome. So um, it's come a long way. So it's not your uh, your grandpa sitting on a bucket anymore. If you really yep. want to be comfortable, ice fishing can be as comfortable as you want to make it. And the cool thing about it is it's still reasonably priced. I'm a fanatic when it comes to ice fishing. I spend way too much time and effort ice fishing because I'm just obsessed with it. Um, but even with this, and as obsessed as I am, and you take all the money that I've invested into ice fishing, it doesn't add up to nearly what my boat costs, not even close to what I spend in open water fishing. So it's still a very reasonable thing. Uh, for a couple grand, you can get an ATV or a snowmobile to get you out there. Yeah. Uh, we might be able to find one cheaper than that. And the top of the line, nicest shelter that you can possibly own is going to be in that $1,000 category. So if to spend a couple hundred dollars on an ice shack that's going to get you out there and keep you comfortable is a very reasonable thing to do. Uh, I think that hub that I camped in retails for less than 400 bucks. So, and I could fish four people inside that hub shack very easily. So you don't have to invest thousands and thousands of dollars to be comfortable out on the ice. Yeah. Pretty neat. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking about your approach mobility and I think it's pretty cool that you're able to literally camp out there and live out there, uh, comfortably at that, um, with your mobility stuff. I think some of the guys out West, um, you know, they, they run scratchers when there's not, uh, not snow to kind of cool things off with the treads. Do you have any tips for Michigan guys? Uh, I, I, I don't think that you run them either. Um, I've got an old Polaris sled, but talk about some tweaks that you do to your sled that help you be more effective on the water. Well, like you said, scratchers, absolutely. I recommend anyone that's going to put a snowmobile on the ice to have scratchers. I run a lot of ice that's got no snow on it. And if you fish fisheries like Saginaw Bay, you'll find that. Because even when we have snow on shore, the snow just simply blows off the bay. And so you'll find huge stretches with no snow on it whatsoever. Mm. And the only way you're going to successfully run with your snowmobile for long distances and not wear things out very quickly is to have scratchers. Uh, another thing that guys will do is they'll take dish soap and they put it on their slides on their snowmobile and that can make a big difference. But for me, scratchers are easy. They're reasonably priced. They throw plenty of ice and ice chips up in there to keep your, your slides cold. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a no brainer. If you're, if you're going to do your ice fishing thing a lot with a snowmobile, investing in scratchers is, is something to do. The other thing I have on my snowmobile that makes it easier for for just transporting everything is Otter makes a product called a monster box and it's mounted right on the back of my snowmobile. And it's basically like a pickup box in the back of my snowmobile. Oh, neat. All my tackle in there, my electronics in there. The one thing that if you're going to talk about big ice versus inland bodies of water, inland lakes, we tend not to run very far because the lakes are small. Mm -hmm. Saginaw Bay, there's times where I'll run 15 to 20 miles one way. And when you're running that far, um, it's really important to keep, your important stuff, things like your heater, your electronics, and your lures, um, have that somewhere on the snowmobile because the suspension of the snowmobile will keep that stuff safe. 
if you put it inside your flip shack and then run 15 miles and or 15 miles across the lake so you're gonna get uh, beat no snow you're gonna have broken stuff so yeah um, that monster box is probably one of the biggest investments that i made that it made a huge difference just simply because i can keep everything safe on my snowmobile mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and just make sure that there's really nothing that I, and I bring a lot of stuff with me when I'm ice fishing and I've never had a situation where I couldn't figure out a place to put it with that monster box. No kidding. So um, you talked about the sled you run. I think you got a BRP scan. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. Um, in order to mount that box, do you have to have a touring style sled? I'm not familiar with the configuration. I just have a one up personally. Right. So there's a lot of different ways to mount it. A million different ways. They, they send in the package, you get U-bolts, that you can mount it to the frame. Mm -hmm. A lot of people put them on like a four wheeler on the back rack of a four wheeler and they'll use U bolts. For me on my snowmobile, I had a a rack on the back and a flat surface. I took the rack off. I just unbolted the rack and then I bolted the monster box right to the flat surface on the back of the snowmobile. Um, If you have a smaller sled, you might have to come up with a way. The one cool thing about fishermen is we're all rednecks at the end of the day and we can all come up with a way to fix something, right? So um, there's always a way to mount something. In my situation, it was easy because I had a flat surface at the back. I just set it right down and I threw bolted it right on there because honestly, I have no interest in taking it off. I mean, it's it's right there through bolted. It isn't going to go anywhere. Um, so there might be a little bit for your setup. You might have to adapt it a little bit to make it work for your individual sleds. Mm-hmm. The one thing about the Scandic is it's kind of the, the king of ice fishing, in my opinion. It's a utility sled that's meant to pull a lot of gear and to haul a lot of people. Um, it's a big sled. It's almost 12 feet long. Jeez. So it takes up a ton of room in a trailer. It takes up a ton of room in the garage in the off season. But for me, I know that when I turn the key on that machine, it gets me out there, it gets me back. And, um, I've actually hauled uh, nine different shacks, flip shacks at one time Gee. with that snowmobile. So as far as power, I've never had a situation where it, it yeah. couldn't be where I had to go. So, um, but like I said, I'm obsessed with it. You don't have to spend a ton of money on your snow machine and you might already have a snow machine for something else. You might like to trail ride. You might take your family out. A lot of times you can use that exact same machine to get you out on the ice, to get you out from point A to point B. So that is the cool thing. A lot of times you'll find technical fishing, it's hard to take a, a family boat and convert it over to be a hardcore technical fishing boat. But in the mm-hmm. ice fishing world, you can take your family four wheeler or your family snowmobile and use it to get you out on the ice and, and be able to do that technical style of fishing. Hmm. Yeah. Very good thoughts, man. Um, I had never seen your sled. I didn't know it had that kind of towing capabilities. And uh, you know me, I like to wrench too. Um, talk a little bit about it. I'm assuming it's a liquid cooled two stroke sled. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, you know, they've come a long ways with snowmobiles. Mine's a few years old. I think mine's a 2016. Um, and when I bought it, I originally bought it because it's the 550 fan. And I really liked the idea that it was a two-stroke. I'm kind of a Fan two-stroke cool. guy. I've always been a two-stroke guy for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that the two-stroke snowmobile offered that the four-strokes didn't was the pull start. And for me, that was a big selling feature is I wanted that pull start. So if I, I have a graph on my unit or on my snowmobile, if I was to accidentally leave that graph on, they had a dead battery, mm-hmm. I could still pull start the machine and get in. Going um, on. Just a safety thing is one of the biggest reasons I wanted that machine. Um, before strokes have come a long ways. And the other thing that's come a long ways are lithium battery jumper packs. So I know a lot of guys that run four strokes now that just throw those travel size lithium packs underneath the seat of their snowmobile or in the monster box and so god forbid they did have a dead battery 
they would be able to jump it with those lithium packs. So that's another good option. But in my opinion, you can never be too safe on the ice and having a backup for your backup is always a good thing. Yeah, that that goes for most anglers and, and outdoorsmen for the matter. Backups to my backups. Right. Um, hey, I'm looking at your desk right now for the folks that can't see the video. You got a beautiful Lawrence unit there and, and a lot has changed in ice fishing technology and sonar. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I know you've got that new active target sonar stuff. So let's talk a little bit about that. I think you've been able to play with it on the ice a little bit. I know you've been able to use it on St. Clair a little bit doing open water stuff. Um, tell us about what you're seeing so far with Lawrence active target and how you plan to run it in your ice setup. Yeah. Um, so I did, I, I've, I've got a chance to play with it quite a bit now, the new active target from Lawrence. And it's a cool thing because it's more like, uh, like an ultrasound, I guess, than it is with your conventional sonar. Mm -hmm. uh, it gives you a three-dimensional image on a 2D plane. So what I mean by that is a lot of times when you're fishing just a conventional sonar ice fishing, what you've always seen before is if I had a dead stick and I had my jigging rod, they would be stacked on top of each other vertically. You're looking at the same cone, you're looking straight down. And so it's not as interactive. You can't, it's hard to see if a fish is coming up to your dead stick or if he's coming up to you, it's hard to see that. But with active target on their down imaging, oh, you're gonna quote, I think it's a 120 degree cone one way with active target. And I think it's 18 degrees the other way. So what that means is that one way it's showing you a very wide section of the bottom. The other way it's a very narrow section of the bottom. So it's giving you a very clear picture of what you're looking at directly below you. Sure. Uh, and, and I've seen that now enough with ice fishing here with it is you'll see a fish come in and if a fish comes out to the side, you'll see that fish travel. You can see the whole length of the fish and you can see it in fairly good detail. But mm -hmm. if he swims away from you, like if you're facing forward, if he swims away from you, you'll lose that fish fairly quickly. Uh, that's a good thing because you don't want to see too much of bottom. Otherwise, the image will get distorted and you can't see a lot of detail. Um, to give you an idea of how unbelievably um, sensitive the active target is, is I was up on the, in the UP last weekend and I'm marking all these little fish on active target and they're just little blobs and, and they're swimming around and I dropped a lure down there and they all kind of scatter. And so to me, I'm like, okay, those are small perch. So I put on a little tungsten jig uh, with a little wax worm on there and I drop it down and I can see the wax worm on the tungsten jig. It's so accurate. Hmm. And I'm fishing and fishing. I can't seem to get them to bite. And I'm wondering what the heck is going on? Why can't I get one of these fish to bite? So I took my underwater camera and I put it down there. And when I say small perch, I'm talking about perch that are the size of the minnows that we're fishing. They <laughs> honestly are less than two inches big. Most of them are in that inch and a half category. And I'm marking them on my active target thinking that they're decent sized perch swimming around. Um, mm. That's just coming from learning the size of the blob and the size of everything. But um, a lot of sonar just simply wouldn't even pick up on that. That's that's the size of a small bait fish. And sometimes those don't even show up on your graph. So extremely detailed, uh, extremely sensitive. So um, I'm excited to see where that goes. I've been pretty much just using the down view for walleye fishing for the most part. Uh, I know a lot of guys are using the forward view for crappie fishing and other types of species, but um, really cool, really cool technology. I'm excited to, to be behind it and get to, to use it this winter. Uh, this unit that I have here in front of me is just a seven inch live unit um, right here. And I have it on a shuttle. For the guys that can see on the video, you can see the shuttle. I have a lithium battery, which is very important with your electronics. 
having a lithium battery. They're super light and they have a ton of life to them as far as you can fish all day long on one battery, no problem. And the reason I brought this particular unit along with me is because I wanted to talk about, again, making it relatively inexpensive to go ice fishing. You can spend a ton of money on ice fishing electronics. You can go out there and you can spend as much money as you want. But we're all open water fishermen that like to ice fish. And one of the things that you can do is you can take the graph right off your boat. You can put it on a shuttle. In this situation here, uh, I actually purchased a shuttle this year. This is uh, from Bass Kang. And uh, it's just a little plastic shuttle where the battery fits in the back. And I take this unit right off of my, this particular unit goes on my duck boat. I take it off my duck boat. It goes right on the shuttle. And so instead of having a unit that I use one and a half months out of the year, now I have something that I'm using six, eight months out of the year. Um, so just utilizing what we already own. We all have units on our boats. Instead of them sitting in storage, you can take them off your boat and create an ice pack just with your existing sonar unit. Makes sense to me. Um, earlier in the podcast, you talked about using some mapping technology. I don't know if it'll come out on the video, so I'm not going to ask you to do it. But, uh, you know, you talked about being able to kind of map out some weed edges, uh, use some of the existing mapping that's on your graphs to kind of direct you to where you're going to check out inland spots. Um, feel free to talk as much or as little as you want about that. And, you know, if it does show up on a screen, great. Yeah, if not. Get it to pull up, Rob, because it would be cool to show to show that, um, let's see, I have to zoom out. I spend a lot of time on my Navionics, like a ton of time. A lot of people will sit at home and watch TV in the evenings. I sit on my phone and stare at contour mapping because I love to look at new bodies of water. Um, in the last three weekends, I've fished three different lakes and some of the lakes I did really well on and the average guy want to go back to that lake. For me, it's, I want to go to the next one. I want to see what the next fishery is because I love looking at spots on my maps go, there should be a walleye there showing up and catch a walleye on that Heck spot. Yeah. It's just a ton of fun. Um, we'll pull up Holton Lake here and we'll go down. If you can see, let's see. Here's some of the, pull up one of the deeper flats and we'll show that. Okay. So I don't know if you can see on the, does it show up, Rob? Yeah. Like a little, little tip blur. your phone up a little bit. Perfect. Yep. Now we got contours, Jake. Uh, we got great image of what you're trying to show with that deep water flat. Okay, cool. So um, I'm going to do this completely blind. So I'll give this a try, but I believe right here, Rob can help me out because I can't see my phone, but yep. this should be the shallow flat that I'm looking at here. This should be six, seven feet of water. Mm -hmm. Off of this is deeper water. And you'll see this kind Correct. of that comes around right here. Yep. Now what I like to do is not necessarily fish the top of the flats and not necessarily fish the deep water. I tend to spend most of my time fishing the edges and trying to figure out where those weeds end. Mm -hmm. Now you can see this flat here. Sometimes you'll have a flat here and a flat right next to it. And that's where I talked about earlier how these fish should travel it like a highway. And so I like to try to find where two flats come together and figure out where those two weed edges come together. It's almost like an intersection of where these fish are traveling. Um, what I would do is I would, I would start on the top of this flat and I would start drilling. And as I'm drilling, I will start drilling down into deeper water. Mm -hmm. And when I go back, I can actually see on my graph, okay, there's weeds here, weeds here, weeds here. Now all of a sudden there's no weeds. Then I literally split the difference. I go between these two holes, somewhere the weeds stopped. 
a lot of times it's a certain depth of water. We'll use 10 feet, for instance. At 10 feet, the weeds seem to stop. Now I have a pretty good idea of where those weeds are stopped. Um, I can fish right there in that one spot, or I can drill down that weed edge and I can figure out um, maybe it slides back or, or comes up. Um, drilling a lot of holes on inland bodies of water is a pretty normal thing. Saginaw Bay, when I'm out on Saginaw Bay, I'll find a spot on a flat. This is a big wide open flat, drill a hole, fish it for an hour. If the fish are there, they're there. If they're not, they're not. On inland bodies of water, you wanna set yourself up in high, you know, high probability areas. So those edges of the weeds are really important. I might drill 20 holes before I finally find a spot that I wanna sit and fish for a little bit. And just getting on those edges of the weeds uh, seem to make a big difference. Very neat. Yeah. So to follow up on one point that Jake made earlier, um, using technology that you already have on, on your boat, or in this case, already on your phone with that uh, Navionics app, you can look at literally, you know, pre-fish from your phone where you want to go check out some areas, kind of map it out and drill some holes and find yourself some success just by applying just general fishing knowledge. Right. Very neat. This, uh, this seven inch live unit right here, you could use a nine inch. If you have a big unit, you can use a bigger unit. The smaller units are easy for, for transporting. They don't take up as much room, but a nine inch or, or a live unit from the ranch, they use a nine pin sonar adapter. So um, what I you basically do is you buy the transducer, their ice fishing transducer that mm -hmm. plugs right into the back of the nine pin system for their transducer plug it right into the back of the unit and you're fishing. So very quickly, I can take a unit that normally is on my boat and convert it over into an ice fishing electronics just that quick. Um, there's, like I said, and, and with the shuttles, there's a lot of options for the shuttles. Uh, the very original one was the Dave Gens box and they still sell it to this day. It's reasonably priced. Uh, you can easily screw your unit right to the box, put a battery in it and you're out fishing. So um, that's the biggest thing for me. We live in an area where ice isn't guaranteed. Michigan, normally Northern Michigan, we have ice every year on the inland bodies of water, but our Great Lakes ice isn't guaranteed. So instead of going out and spending a thousand dollars on a, a unit specifically for ice fishing, uh, just utilizing the tools we already have in our boats. Yeah, makes sense to me. Um, so I think you talked about you're literally going ice fishing tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much every weekend I can be on the ice. I'm on the ice, buddy. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, so to kind of close out our discussion on inland ice, and, and we'll expand it broader, Great Lakes and beyond, um, what are one of your dream ice fishing locations, and why should it be on the radar for other walleye anglers? or any other species for that will open it up. Well, I've been very blessed to travel pretty much all across the ice belt. There's still a ton of fisheries on my bucket list that I haven't gotten to, mm -hmm. but if I had to pick one body of water that I need to be at every year at the same time is it's Lake of the Woods in December. It's incredible fishery, a lot of fish, and you'll catch a lot of small fish because Lake of the Woods has saugers and they also have walleyes. So you'll catch a bunch of saugers, you'll catch walleyes. But the cool thing about Lake of the Woods is you never know when the next fish that bites is going to be a giant. So you'll catch small fish and big fish mixed out throughout the day. Um, seven days on the ice, we iced well. I personally iced well over 300 walleyes uh, mm. seven days on the ice. So you get a lot of opportunities. Um, I love Michigan, but honestly, in those seven days, I ice more walleyes than I'll ice the rest of the entire ice season in Michigan. So Jeez. an incredible ice fishery, a ton of walleyes in that system. So it's definitely, if you're looking for a place to go where you know you're going to catch a lot of fish, it's pretty hard to beat Lake of the Woods in December. Nice. So Lake of the Woods, are you fishing the Minnesota waters or heading over to Ontario? 
Yeah, I fish the Minnesota waters. There's a ton of Minnesota waters there to fish. You don't have to travel far first ice. And a lot of times we're running just a mile or two offshore to catch these fish. So um, Pine, is it Pine Island? I think that's I think that's Pine Island there. Yeah, there's a, the big main island there, Lake of the Woods. Um, when you're coming offshore there, it, you're basically just on the other side of that big island uh, is where we do a lot of our fishing. So mm-hmm. um, very easy to get to. If you don't have a ton of equipment, there's a ton of uh, resorts there that'll drive you out to hard shacks and you'll catch a ton of fish in those hard shacks because what we're fishing are flats out there. These fish are just spread out over a big area um, and just a, a huge population of fish all piled into that small area. So as far as destination fisheries to travel to that you're going to catch a lot of fish, it's, it's hard to beat Lake of the Woods. Um, there are fisheries that have bigger fish if you want to catch a trophy fish and, and have a much better chance of catching a trophy fish. Um, there's some other opportunities, uh, but if I had to pick one place and one date that I had to be there the second week of December, every year for the rest of my life, my feet will be standing on Lake of the Woods, God willing, because it's, it's an incredible fishery. Awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one awesome thing about fishing with you is, is you, you share a lot of knowledge to anyone that you're with. And, and you obviously do that through the media stuff with the TV show and, and outdoor writing. Um, another fun fact is, you know, Jake's a pretty tall guy and he's got a heck of a long reach for net and fish. And if you see him in person, one arm is bigger because he catches so many walleyes on the ice in the off season while the open water guys are sitting and tying stingers or whatnot. So, uh, Jake, man, it's been awesome to have you on the podcast. Uh, we'll definitely have you out to talk more about some open water stuff too. Um, where are you heading out this weekend for ice or is it classified? No, it's not classified. I'm not really sure yet, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Burt Lake has just started to get some ice uh, and I'm getting a mixed report on ice conditions. So I love Burt Lake. I've caught hundreds and hundreds of walleyes on that fishery. It's a great fishery. Um, it can be difficult at times and it's a, it's a hard fishery to figure out sometimes. One of the reasons I love it so much. So I think I might head up to Burt Lake this weekend um, with the mindset of I'm just checking ice conditions. Maybe I'll get to do a little bit of fishing. Uh, but really, I need to know what that ice is. The biggest thing I can sure. leave everybody before we go is that no ice is safe ice, right? And I never hear report from someone and take it as the gospel. I got to see it for myself or ice conditions. If you're traveling ice you haven't been on before with a machine, don't be lazy. Get off your machine, drill some holes in front of you, and make sure that you're traveling on good ice. Mm-hmm. Super important to travel on good ice. Um, that's huge. Safety is number one. No fish is worth risking your life for. So that's my plan this weekend to go up to Burt Lake to drill a ton of holes and figure out some ice conditions. And if ice is good when I get up there, maybe I'll get lucky and catch a couple of walleyes too. And that sounds good to me. Thank you again so much for coming on and, and folks that are listening on to the audio version. Um, you know, you can get the video version on Facebook and a couple other platforms that we'll have on there. But, you know, we got a lot more great things coming for this next season of Wally World Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening in. We got a lot more great things. And Jake, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, buddy. Appreciate it. 